All right, so we're going to read, or I'm going to read, you can follow along, the uh, passage here for the morning. It's in Exodus uh, 17, 1 through 7, and it's on the back of the green bulletin here. All right. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray real quick. Uh, Dear Lord, we thank you for um, your word and your truth and everything that you've given to us. And uh, we just pray for this morning that we can be filled by uh, by your word and truth and move on uh, throughout the week, uh, carrying that with us um, and just being with us throughout the week. Pray for Brian as he uh, speaks, that you will uh, speak through him. And it's your son's name we pray. Amen. Where's your coffee? Take, hey, take, the, take, your, take your crumpled thing. You don't want it? All right. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. For those of you guys that are inside the tent, snuggle a little closer. I know we're all shivering. This has definitely been the, the hardest uh, winter for weather for us, um, as far as being cold. And um, so those of you that are out in the sunshine, well, you're extra special or something, and, and warm at least. Just a couple of things before I begin this morning. Uh, put on your calendar uh, uh, for the March church dinner. We need to update you on some important things about our church. And so um, mark that and uh, make a commitment to be there for that so we can update you on a couple of important things. One of the important updates is that we are doing a little renovation of our um, children's ministry area over there, right over here, and uh, we're trying to make some um, significant improvements to that, especially with moms that have little babies and uh, trying to help that. So we want to give you details on that and some other important things. So please mark that on your calendar and make a commitment to that. This morning, we are continuing our study on Exodus, and this morning, uh, as Shane read from Exodus 17, we are looking at this idea that God often leads us in a direction that is hard, that God often um, guides us in an area in our life that doesn't always make sense, that there are real challenges there, and We know from um, Exodus chapter 13 that when the Israelites are freed out of uh, Egypt, God specifically says, 
I'm taking you in the long way. That there is a direct path, an easier path, but I have something for you, that's something that's different, and it's long, and it's hard. I was thinking about it this week. Um, occasionally, it happened a couple times this week, someone asked me um, if I needed something from Costco over the hill, and uh, they'd pick something up for me, and I started thinking um, this morning, uh, you know, if, if I asked you to go to Costco for me right over Canaan here this week, um, and grab something for me. But then I first said, I left a book at a Starbucks in Venice, and I need you to go there first and pick it up. And then you get there, and oh, by the way, someone picked it up, and now they're in South Bay, and they have my book, and now you have to go to South Bay. And you're like, right? You wouldn't even get past Pepperdine before like, you started getting grumpy. And then you find out you have to go to Venice. And then I take you all the way to Orange County, and you're like, on the verge of like saying bad words about me because all you want, all the job was just to go to Costco right over the hill and now you're in Orange County. Life often brings things like that and they don't make sense. And sometimes we get stuck in our details of life and, and um, we, we get stuck in our own little personal agendas and we can't see the bigger picture of what God is trying to teach us. Exodus, this part of Exodus, God is going to lead the Israelites on many detours. And along the way, unbelief gets into their heart. And it begins to um, manifest or reveal itself through complaining and grumbling and complaining and arguing and fighting. And so what we will see is that when God pushes you or, or sends you off in a direction that doesn't always make sense to you at the time or brings something into your life that doesn't always make sense at the time, one of the greatest temptations is for unbelief to get into your heart. And you can't see it and, and it doesn't make sense. And you get angry. And these things become real and they become deep. Sometimes they're little little things in life, little, little inconveniences, sometimes these things are deep and real and our hearts get hard. And so um, I titled the message this morning, Grace for the Unbelieving Heart. And one of the things that happens to the human heart is that when unbelief gets into it, it often becomes hard. And we don't want to hear it. And we get angry at God and we become resistant we don't want to hear things. And sometimes, like I said, these are deep things. These are really hard things. I can very clearly remember in my teenage years, late teenage years, and even into my college years, really wrestling with anger um, towards God about life. And, and it just didn't seem fair. It didn't seem understandable. And one of the things that was most challenging for me was the idea that it was not right or fair that God allowed my dad to die when I was little. And in my mind, I was like, every boy deserves a dad. Why isn't this happening? Those things run deep in our lives. I know many of you here have experienced certain things, whether it's broken relationships or loss of life or things in life that are hard. And we say things like, why is this happening? Thankfully, though, 
What happens in life if our hearts stay soft is that God can teach us things. And so all of these detours, all of these major inconveniences, all of these hard things in life, Moses gives the reason why. And so what we'll do, so we are in Exodus 17 this morning, but we're going to jump ahead to Deuteronomy for one minute and look at 40 years later after this major hardship, this inconvenience, this crisis situation. And here's what Moses says to the why question. Why did you, why did you do this to me, God? Why is this thing happening in my life? And there's three things that Moses will say 40 years later. All right, and here's what they are. This is Deuteronomy, and we have these in your bulletin. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 says, And you shall remember the, the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Reason number one, that he might humble you to bring humility into your life. That these things that God has led you into is to break you of your pride and create humility to soften your heart. That's number one. Number two, to test you, to know what's really going on inside of your heart. That you're not, that you're not just a talking Christian, that you can say all the right things when you're around church folks, but to know what's truly in your heart. Number three, to test you whether or not you would keep his commandment. So there's humbling, there's testing, and then I think the next verse, Russell, um, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So there's teaching, there's testing, and there's humility to know what's really going on inside your heart and for God to show you that he's faithful to his promises, that he cares about you, that he loves you. Exodus chapter 17 is a story of wandering in the wilderness and this crisis occurs, and the crisis is there's no water. This has happened again, and just for sake of space in the bulletin, we just put Exodus 17, 1 through 7. But if you have your Bible, you can just turn back one page to Exodus 15, because there are three different crises that happen. Number one is, excuse me, is Exodus 15, and there's a water crisis. The people are thirsty. And God tells Moses, throw this branch into the water and it will become drinkable. Crisis number two was no food. Exodus 16. Crisis number three was water again. And one of the things that happens over and over and over again is people complain. Is the Israelites complained. It happens in chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17. And so number one, what I want to show you this morning is that we all have to be aware that every one of us here has to be aware that there are seeds of unbelief in our hearts. That we are all capable of doubting God, of putting God on trial, of not fully understanding. And when those doubts become more real, our hearts become hardened. And we end up complaining being critical of quarreling with God. 
And so let's, let's do two things this morning. Number one, we will look at how the human heart is susceptible to unbelief. And then number two, we will look at how God responds to that. And then last, we'll look at specific application to our lives this morning. And so let's begin. Chapter 17, verse 1 says, All of the congregation of Israel moved out from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandments and camped near Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. And here's one of the things that's, that's interesting here is that this is a different word. In the previous chapters, the word was complaining, that they were just, just throwing a little fit, whining and complaining that things weren't going their way. Here, though, the word is quarreled, and it has this idea of, of almost like treason, of, of putting God on trial, of of saying to God that you are incompetent, that, that you have led us to this place to die. And so the Israelites are putting God on trial here because, they led, because God led him to this place that made no sense and that they could die. And it's worth it for us to think of this as a, metator, as a metaphor for our lives. I know many of you here this morning are followers of God, that you've committed your life to Christ and you are trying to follow him. But sometimes, this is what the Bible is showing us this morning, sometimes that leads you to a place that almost feels like a dead end. It doesn't always make sense. That's hard. That God brings you to these places to teach you things. But the people respond by attacking Moses and attacking God. In fact, it says that they wanted to stone Moses. That the bitterness and the hardness of their hearts had gotten so strong and to such a degree that God was the target. And they were charging God with incompetence. That this life that I have is so hard and so challenging God, I'm charging you with incompetence because it's not fair and it hurts and it's painful and things are real. And this is where the Israelites were at. The human heart is susceptible to a hard heart. What were they demanding from God? And this is where it gets a little bit interesting. We'll try to go a little bit deeper. Three observations from the passage on, on what these people, the Israelites, were demanding from God. Number one, verse two, the beginning part of verse two, is they were demanding God's provision. Verse two says this, that the people, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. This has to do with God's timing. They demanded God's provision now. And one of the hardest things in the Christian life is to understand that God's timing is not always our timing. That God will provide for you. He promises to provide for you, even though it might not be on your timing. The second thing they denied was God's protection. Verse 3, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? 
So they were denying God's protection. Why did you do this? This is something we can all relate to. Think about your life for a moment and whatever that thing is that still causes you pain, still causes heartache that you don't fully understand. And this is something we ask, why did you do this? The third thing they complain about is doubting God's presence. And that's at the end of verse 7 where it says, Is the Lord among us or not? Now what we have to remember is the context of what is going on here. Within the last few months before this had happened, they had seen miracle after miracle, the parting of the Red Sea, um, the changing of water by Moses putting a branch in the water and the water is good, by, with manna and food, quail, all of these things that were happening in their lives. And they say this, God, are you really with me or not? And so we must be aware and thinking about these things. A, a useful place to turn to uh, help us understand this is Psalms. And if you have your Bible, I just invite you to turn there with me. And this will help us give some insight to us. Help us understand this a little bit more clearly. This is Psalms. So this is generations later. This is the book of Psalms, and it says this. Psalms 106, verse 6 says this. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. And here's what the author of the psalm is saying. Generations and generations and generations ago, in the book of Exodus, the people hardened their heart. And he says this, the author of the psalm says, we, that he was doing the exact same thing. Verse 7, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. And so what we see here is that within our hearts, when unbelief creeps into our hearts, what happens? We do not consider the wondrous works. We lose sight of that. And for us, we lose sight of the saving grace that Jesus Christ gives to us freely that his death on the cross, that the greatest miracle of all is that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the grave so that we can have life. Next, it says this, they did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. It's interesting here what, they, what is being mentioned here. What are the sins being mentioned? It's not um, you're drinking too much beer, you're not doing certain things, you're greedy with your money. Or it's none of these like things maybe we think about. The great sin is this. You did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. I mentioned last week or the week before that when we read in Exodus and the word Lord is in all capitals, that is a sign for us as readers to remember that that is a covenant-keeping word, that God is faithful to his promises, that he will never let you go. The, the Psalms goes on though in verse 8 and says, um, Yet he saved them for his name's sake. So God gives grace to those who don't believe. He saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. He led them through the deep as though through a desert. 
Here's God's grace again. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words and sang praise. This is interesting. This is significant. This miracle happens, and how do they respond? With songs of praise. Verse 13, but they soon forgot. They soon forgot, and they did not wait for his counsel. But they had wanton cravings in the wilderness, and they put God to the test in the desert. Do you see how easy it is that we forget things? And our hearts become hard. We sing songs, we sing worship songs on Sunday morning. By Tuesday afternoon, our hearts have become hard. And what was their problem? Verse 14, they lived their lives according to their desires. And when you live your life according to your desires, it says you put God to the test. So Exodus is this story that happens long ago, but the Bible is saying to us that all of us, even today, have within our hearts seeds of unbelief that can grow into rebellion, that can put God on trial because he's not working the way we want. We learn something here about God, though, that he promises to never leave us. He doesn't promise to take us out of the wilderness, but he does promise that he will always provide, he will always protect you, and he will always be with you. That is who God is. God is a God of patience and grace. Let's finish this morning by thinking about some just very specific ways we can apply this to our lives. And we'll do that by looking at another Psalms. I think it's in your bulletin. Psalms 95. Help us to apply this more uh, specifically in our lives. Psalms 95 the second part of verse 7 says this, Today, if you hear his voice, if, if what we are reading and talking about this morning, if God is using that to speak to you, he, the psalmist says, Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And we know from later on in the book of Numbers that there's only two people from this generation that enter the promised land. And the rest die in the wilderness because their hearts are hard. Their hearts are resistant. Their hearts don't want to hear. One of the most important things in life, and and you learn this too as a parent, um, and we want this in all of our lives, that our hearts will be soft, that we will listen, that that we won't be stubborn, hard-hearted people who are resistant to God's speaking. That's why If your heart is hard, you can show up to church week after week after week and nothing ever happens in your life. And then you start complaining, you start grumbling, and you aren't able to grow. 
Last place I want to turn to this morning is the book of Hebrews and show you again how this theme of a soft heart is important. This is generations after the book of Psalms. This is a New Testament church. And listen to what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, so now we are talking about after Christ has died on the cross and he's risen again and the Holy Spirit is given to the church. And the Holy Spirit is here this morning speaking through his word. Today, if you hear his voice, if the Spirit of God is speaking to you, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. And we all have seeds of unbelief in our hearts. Verse 8, On the day of the testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test, think for a moment, are there things in your life that are unresolved, that have caused your heart to be hard, that have caused quarreling or bitterness in your life towards God that you have said, God, this is off limits. This part of my life is off limits. I'll give you everything else, but this part of my life is off limits. If you hear God's voice speaking to you this morning, soften your heart. Verse 10 says, Therefore I was provoked with that generation, and they said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Part of the passage this morning is a warning that a hardness of heart can lead you to a dark place. The Spirit of God is speaking this morning and asking you to soften your hearts. Why? Verse 12 says this, Take care, my brothers, the church family, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It's a warning to all of us here that all of us are susceptible to this. Take care, church family. Take care, community. Take care, your family. All the different families in our church. Parents, pay attention to your children. Roommates, pay attention to your roommates. Pay attention to people in your life. Because we all have parts of our heart that are unbelieving, that have unbelief in them. And have the potential to fall away from God. Verse 13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and there is the word hardened again. That sin has the ability, the power to look good, to deceive you. But what it does is it hardens your heart. We all know this. We've all experienced this. Little compromises lead to bigger compromises and medium compromises lead to bigger compromises. Why? Because our hearts become hardened. The deceitfulness of sin is that it tricks you into thinking that it's not that big of a deal. Verse 14, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold on to the original confidence firm until the end. 
one of the things we mentioned um, a couple weeks ago is that salvation is an instantaneous declaration that you are righteous in the sight of God. That because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God sees you as holy and sees you as a part of his family. But after that, living out the Christian life, getting the slavery out of your heart is hard. It's a process. And that's why we say in our vision statement that we are a community of people who, where we are living in Christ. As the writer here says this, that we had come to share in Christ, but we do it together and what the author of Hebrews is saying is this, is that no one can do this by themselves. That I need you in my life lest I become deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. You need me in your life. You need friends in your life who are living in Christ so that our hearts don't become hard. That our hearts don't become filled with unbelief. The resolution that happens in Exodus, is this. God says, verse 5, God says, Exodus 17, verse 5 says, And the Lord said, here's the resolution to this, all of this unbelief. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders, and take in your hand the staff, which is the symbol of God's authority, and with which you struck the Nile, and go... Behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb, nearing Mount Sinai, and you shall strike the rock. And so Moses strikes the rock, and living water comes out of the rock. And what's significant about this is that generations and generations later, when the Apostle Paul is writing his letter to 1 Corinthians, in chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says, that Christ is the rock that was struck. That is pointing forward to Jesus Christ who died on the cross. He was struck so that we could have living water, so that everyone here can understand that there is grace for the unbelieving heart, for the doubting heart. That is the gospel. That is the picture of the gospel. That despite the unbelief that is in our hearts, there is grace that has been given to you. The lifestyle part of it is that the Holy Spirit speaks to you through His Word. That is why, you know, at the beginning of the year, we made a push with uh, um, this, the app that we had. That, that was, the purpose behind that was so that God would speak to you through His Word, so that you would better understand His Word, so that the Holy Spirit would change your life through the Word of God. It's always Word and Spirit that will speak truth, that will soften your heart. My hope, my prayer for us as a church family is that we will be a community of people who understand that God brings things, He brings things into your life. He leads you in certain directions to humble you and to teach you and show you His grace. Don't become angry. Don't become bitter because God isn't operating on your time schedule. Don't become angry or bitter because you hurt inside. Trust Him that He will provide, He will protect, and that He will always give His presence to you through the Spirit. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much for your word. There's such clarity. There's such hope. There's grace. Father, I know that within my own heart, there are seeds of unbelief that can lead to hardness, that can lead to cynicism and bitterness. Father, I pray that you would speak speak loudly to us through your Spirit this morning to soften our hearts, to change our hearts, as we already sang earlier this morning. We are completely dependent upon you to be our provider, our protector, and to be present in each moment of our lives. Thank you that you give us grace every day. We need it. We ask you sayings in the name of Jesus. Amen.